For this episode of Moonlighting, I'd like to hold some space for the unfathomable tragedy that's being wrought upon the people of Ukraine this week. It's difficult to know what to think or to say in times like this, except that it's obviously horrible and it's on all of our minds. Many of us are wrestling with the knowledge that, in most cases, there's very little that we can personally do to change the outcome of the Russian invasion on Ukraine, or to help people who are being so terribly impacted. All of the people who are being killed for what amount to very stupid, shitty reasons, all of the people who are losing their homes and their loved ones, the needless destruction, and the senselessness, cruelty, and waste of war, whenever it happens, wherever it happens. And it happens practically every day, but there are few evils which can really compare to the greed and absurdity of imperialism. Much like David S. Pumpkins, imperialism is its own thing, and it doesn't make any sense. Especially when compared with the things that should matter to world leaders, and which do really matter in life. Power, greed, and opportunities for exploitation, not being any of those things. Events in this case will almost certainly be a lot worse before they're any better. I think we all realize that, as much as we might wish there were a lever we could pull, or an incantation we could use to alter the course of what has honestly felt these past few years like an accursed or corrupted timeline. Many, many people throughout history have had those same feelings before. Anyone paying attention to history knows that evil happens. Always, it seems, in roughly the same recognizable silhouette, but with slightly different teeth or maybe a more convoluted advance than we were expecting. These kinds of times are the ones we've read about and heard about, but that we always want to believe won't apply to our country or, ideally, our lifetimes. And for the people of Ukraine right now, they tragically do apply. Today and tomorrow, and no one can possibly know for how much longer. In the wake of that understanding, many of us feel powerless knowing how little we can do in these kinds of times. But there are still a few things that we can do. In the show notes, I'll be including a list of links where, if you have the means to, you can donate to organizations providing direct aid and relief efforts to people in Ukraine, so please take a look at that. And what can you do if, like myself, you don't have any funds at all? Well, you can spread information on social media to others who might be able to, and look for more ways to help as the situation develops. Ways to fight misinformation or 
even ways to make people feel seen and heard or supported, at least emotionally. And you can still focus on, you can always focus on the little kindnesses of everyday life, wherever you are and whoever you're with. And you can also always light a candle, make an offering to the land or the wind or to deity on behalf of Ukraine, or simply on behalf of yourself or your community. You can whisper into the night and appeal to the powers that shape your own spiritual fortitude. You can do that so that you can get up again tomorrow and keep participating in the world in the ways that you're able to. Some people will argue over the usefulness or uselessness of prayer, of personal rituals, of mass rituals, or of timed collective intentions in times like these. But I don't know what that conjecture is doing for anyone. I do know what ritual is doing for people. Rituals are anchoring our minds and our hearts amidst chaos and adversity. Rituals are offering communion with other people on this planet during this lifetime, this finite blip of corporeal existence, during which we can either do or not do, love or not love, and then it's over. Ritual makes it okay to hope when News reports and tragedies and terror and exhaustion and our own personal struggles can otherwise make it seem as though hope is of little consequence. But I think it is of consequence. I think it matters what you, what each of us believes in and feels and thinks about. That's because I believe that hope is one of the only engines, apart from nature and the divine, that can go on running without us, even when, nihilistically, we'd almost rather it didn't in certain moments, even when we've already physically or mentally quit. We're tempted to find ways to reclaim our lives, no matter the odds, because, as Emily Dickinson says, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all and sweetest in the gale is heard. And sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. It may seem trite to be quoting Emily Dickinson in 2022 during a time of global conflict and epidemic and modern injustices. After all, she was a white woman who lived a relatively privileged and sheltered existence in New England, spending her time writing poems about things like bugs and flowers and hope and not so much about the plethora of social injustices that were abounding during her lifetime. 
And all the while, she was also baking huge batches of a Caribbean black cake recipe to share with her friends during the holidays. <laughs> but that's a topic for another day. The thing is, I'm a huge fan of Emily Dickinson. And I'm also a white woman living a fairly sheltered life who cares about things like bugs and flowers and poetry and holiday cake recipes. Having grown up in northern New Jersey, I'm also kind of a New England wannabe. It's just that New England happens to be one of those places, those few places, where it's even more expensive to try to live than it is in New Jersey. And I'm not lucky enough to be living the family inheritance type of privileged life. But I think that no matter what kind of life you're living, things like bugs and flowers and poetry and cake and hope and ritual are significant. Because sometimes and there will be those times when. They're the only things that we have. This, I think, is perfectly illustrated in the widely circulated news report about a Ukrainian grandmother so poetically offering sunflower seeds to a Russian soldier so that they might grow from his rotting corpse later on. Emily Dickinson's conceptualization of hope so effectively relates my own sense of it, because in my opinion, like those sunflowers, hope is a brighter, more eternal part of ourselves than the struggles we face on Earth. Hope is divine. There's magic in it. Hope and magic are part of why I think that you, as an individual, still being okay, is important to the world even when other people in the world might be suffering or dying. Because we are, each of us, a part of this global organism and cosmic consciousness. We affect the course that history takes and the course that humanity takes. And perhaps in unseen realms, we affect that which we cannot possibly observe or fully comprehend. It does matter whether or not you're doing what's available to you, and I don't think it serves anyone for us to decide that what we can do has no value just because it doesn't instantaneously stop a war. What we think and believe and create and make space for makes a difference. It always has some value. Whether we can understand that value and see it and touch it or not, and regardless of whether other people can see it, what we do, how we feel, what we believe in, what we experience, all of that matters, even in times of darkness, and probably even because of the darkness. And in some kinds of times, for some of us, all that we can do or think to do, what we can believe in, is a simple, quiet ritual in our homes. As part of her own craft, Sister Celine has written a very gorgeous, powerful, and treating intercession 
appealing to both Hecate, Nix, and Baba Yaga for aid to Ukraine. And I asked her if she would read it to share with you because I know a lot of us will be lighting candles in the coming weeks. Unlike David S. Pumpkins, Baba Yaga is known as a dark, villainous, and cruel figure, and so I can understand if some listeners feel skeptical about appealing to her for aid. A quick Google will provide you with plenty of reasons for not wanting to disturb her. If you don't feel comfortable addressing Baba Yaga, then you can probably check out of the episode at this point. But before you make a decision, I hope you'll consider some of Baba Yaga's other qualities as outlined by Taizia Kitaiskaya, author of Ask Baba Yaga, Otherworldly Advice for Everyday Troubles. Quoting from Taizia's article on lithub.com, From time to time, humans come to Baba Yaga's hut, seeking shelter, a special object or person, advice. They find her when they've been cast out and abandoned, when all is lost. At this juncture, Baba Yaga can be villainous and hungry, even trying to push the person into her oven for a snack. Or she can be tricksy and demanding, putting the poor soul to work. Or she can be a guardian, giving over all the answers and an enchanted object to boot. Often she's all of these things in one tale, which is part of what I love about her. No one knows what she'll do next. Born in eastern Russia, I spent the first five years of my life in the woods of Lake Baikal, and Baba Yaga lived there too. I felt her among the mushrooms and berries and animals. I imagined her sitting in the dark of her hut, knitting something wily and strange. Around her head she wore a kerchief like any Russian grandmother. And she did feel like a grandmother to me. Formidable and unpredictable, sure. But ultimately, nurturing and wise. I trusted her to know all there was to know, and I admired her life in the woods. I wanted her near me always, setting an example, looking out. She goes on to explain. What would she say about climate change, global disasters, the failure of our leaders and neighbors, identity, and oppressive systems? When I put out a call for more questions for Baba Yaga, Worries about what will happen to us in these troubled times surfaced alongside the everyday worries. While Baba Yaga can't replace a therapist or a friend, she offers a different kind of perspective, an ancient outsider to our human affairs, a forest witch who speaks in the language of trees and ponds and fairy tales, an immortal witness to our folly and suffering. I was raised to give my unsolvable problems over to something larger than myself, and for me, that larger presence is Baba Yaga. I hope that you too can find some refuge in Baba's words. That said, for anyone who does want to participate in this ritual, I imagine you'll want to carefully consider your offerings beforehand. 
I'm going to set the tone now with a woodland soundscape for a bit to help establish a meditative headspace, and then Sister Celine's incantation will lead us out. So I suggest that you pause the episode here, set up the ceremonial space you plan to use, light your candles, or simply find a quiet place to receive the words, and then take a few breaths as we prepare to raise our intentions to Hecate, Nix, and Baba Yaga for Ukraine. This is Psychia Rose, signing off until next time. Thanks for tuning in for this special episode of Moonlighting. Beware, be hopeful, and be well.
to goddess Hecate of the winding ways, to goddess Nyx whose veil of sleep ends the darkest days, to the Baba Yaga, all-knowing crone of the woods, one under this same sky, unite us in sisterhood. Let the yellow glow of sun and star shine, be as Hecate's torch, providing guidance divine. May the blue of moon hue and dark navy night put to bed war, changing wrong into right. May the old winding ways provide aid to Ukraine, the Baba's blessing upon them, on their foes, her bleak bane. In the crone's name, bring peace to the land. Let the evils of war crumble like sand. So mote it be.